welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. Libraries Turn the Page podcast. My name is Jessica. I am your host today. Um, and I am, as many of you who've listened to some of my podcasts before probably know, um, I am one of the hosts that is a huge mythology buff, which is super because um, we have an author here who wrote a mythology, Greek mythology based book. Um, so I am going to ask her to introduce herself and tell us about Medusa's sisters. Hi, Jessica. It's so nice to be here today. My name is Lauren Bear, and I'm the author of Medusa's Sisters, um, which comes out on August 8th. It is my first book, so I'm really thrilled to be talking about it, especially in support of the public library system, because I do not think that I would be a fantasy reader and writer today if it wasn't for a librarian at Dana Branch Library in Long Beach, California, who handed a very young Lauren a copy of Dealing with Dragons by Patricia C. Reed. And I think that's what cemented this type of literature for me. It was just such a formative text and it awakened my imagination and my way of thinking about reading and writing. Just a huge fan. Wow. That's actually a huge compliment. Thank you so much. You know, um, I was a children's librarian for a while and I certainly hope I was able to do that for uh, for somebody at some point, um, especially no, as somebody, yeah, someone who's a, I'm a fan doing of, the good work. <laughs> thank the you so much. Yeah, as a fantasy sci-fi person myself, um, you know, who really, I mean, now I read all genres, but, um, you know, when I was a kid, it really wasn't until I started reading fantasy that I became a reader. Before that, you know, I was like, I, you know, I was like, OK, you know, I know I know all about the books that other people are reading, but they just didn't get me like fantasy got me. Um, so thank you for that compliment. And thank you to your librarian for doing that for you. So let's talk about Medusa's sisters. So um, first of all, like I've mentioned before, uh, I am a huge Greek mythology person. I'm a mythology person in general. Greek mythology was the first mythology I really latched on to. Um, and I love all of these you know, fleshing out, retold, reframed stories of mythology, especially from the point of view of the goddesses and the women. Um, because as I had said in an interview with, I believe, um, I'm trying to remember, it was um, the author of, was it Ariadne, I believe? You know, I was talking, yeah, yes, yes. I was talking about how, you know, the stories of these women are usually about the hero that's adjacent to them. It's not so much about them you know you have these stories of goddesses and there are some um, greek stories greek plays that do focus on the women antigone comes to mind specifically but you know usually yeah usually you know the women are just are there and the hero hangs with them for a while and then betrays them and they're suddenly the bad guy because they are mad about it and take some sort of revenge um and then you hear more about the hero but less about you know the the goddess that was left behind um so i love these stories and one thing i particularly found interesting about medusa's sisters was not only the fact that hey 
it tells the story of the other two Gorgons uh, because you don't hear a lot about them um, throughout mythology. Medusa is the one that you hear the most about. But also, you know, it talks a little bit about Athena um, and Athena in the story, which always kind of hurt me because while I was a huge mythology buff, Athena was my favorite goddess. And then, you know, when I really got to like the nitty gritty of the Medusa story, I was like, ah, oh, why Athena? Why did you, you know, and then, you know, there's another, there's another uh, story, I believe where Athena, like, I don't know, like claims that like, well, because she wasn't born of a woman that the, the killing the mother was not, you know, a cry. I, there's a few instances where I just can't jive with what Athena does. Um, and so I was like, yes, here we go. This is going to be a story from not only Medusa's sister's points of view, but it it does kind of um, talk a lot about that. So uh, talk to me about it. Talk to me about why the Gorgons, why Medusa's sisters, and how. Um, you came to making this your story. Absolutely. Yes. With Athena, especially, I did not pull my punches with, with Athena and she was my favorite when I was a kid too. But I, is that part of growing up is like you destroy your heroes, kill your heroes or something. Um, I completely agree with everything you said about this. I hesitate to use the word trend more, you know, an emphasis on retellings. And I think it's because the female characters in antiquity are so boring. A lot of the times they're really static. They're one dimensional. I mean, what you were saying too, they're almost instruments or objects in the hero's journey. Right. And they're, they're like MacGuffins. I yeah. Hate to say it. I hate to say it. We just explained to my eight-year-old what a MacGuffin was yesterday. And that's just when you were saying instruments, that's what came to mind. They're used as MacGuffins. Yes, totally. And I mean, Medusa, she's a head, you know, she is further objectified. She's not even a full body um, that Perseus makes his name upon, right? What I had the idea, I was teaching middle school humanities at the time that I had the idea for the novel. And in sixth grade humanities, some of you might remember, you do like the um, introductory course to world history, ancient world history. And so I'm teaching my students about just the very basics of mythology. And something must have lodged in my brain because a couple months later, I was up very late at night um, nursing my new daughter and had one of those sleep deprived thoughts that come at three in the morning when you're not sleeping. And it was, who are the Gorgons besides Medusa? So I pull out my phone over my baby's head. And I of course go to Wikipedia because that's what one does. And there was a quote, quote from a 19th century classical scholar saying that um, the other two Gorgons basically don't matter. They're just appendages to Medusa. And that's, a gut punch, you know, holding my baby girl in 2017 and hearing that a woman is an appendage was not what I needed to hear at the time. So I spent almost two years in primary source material looking for Steno and Uriley and not finding them really anywhere. And because of that, I got to create for them a much more, I hope, empowering, interesting, dynamic story. Yeah, for sure. Um, I believe you definitely did. And, um, you know, I, I there's a few things I want to talk about. One, um, I specifically want to ask about those primary sources and like that research, because that must have been really, really hard, you know, 
Um, that must have been something that like, how, how do you even approach something like that? You, you, you look through all the ancient Greek scholars, all the ancient Roman scholars who are writing at these time periods, pull up the primary source material. And then I did a lot of like search and find, and I would look for proper nouns, prop, you know, names, places, any of those, um, kind of like keywords that would connect back to the basic Medusa myth and expanded from there. But yeah, there really is not much to, to choose from. So I, I had a lot of fun with this book. And I really also want to talk about like how you um, decided, like how did you frame the voices of the of um the the other two you know that's always very interesting to me like when you're writing something and it's not even like you had you know that much to go on like you were saying like in other of these books like you know there's one about Clytemestra and there's one um you know Pandora there's a little bit more to go on more so Clytemestra I suppose um but how you know how did you sort of just like start hearing their voices how did you know um who you know wh- who's going to be Stethno who's going to be you know who um really? was going to be yeah like did they sort of kind of pop out at you did you really sort of have to like meditate on them because you did a really good job of making them very distinct from each other I think the first decision I made when I decided to tackle this idea, this novel idea, was I imagined them as Gorgons. So post-curse, post-transformation. And I knew they had to look different than that iconic image of Medusa that we all have in our minds, right? Of the girl, maybe she's screaming with all the green snakes. Everyone has seen that image. And I did not want Steno or Uriley to look like that. Um, So once I gave them a different look, and I could visualize that their voices started to grow from there. The next decision I made was I knew it was going to be told in alternating voices, but I didn't want to give both characters a first person voice. I chose Steno, who's the oldest sister, to get the first person voice because, um, well, there's kind of an ending spoiler, so I don't want to re- reveal that, but um she is the oldest sister. Perhaps I identify with her the most because I'm an older sister too. And then Uriley, I gave her a third person voice because I think perspective or access to perspective is a privilege in a way, right? And Uriley is a much more guarded off character. She's much more private, um, guarded. I felt like it made sense that she would have a third person narration. And then One more thing about voice that can be tricky is when you're writing about antiquity, you want to be respectful and like uh, natural, authentic to that time period. You know, you're not going to be using slang vocabulary, writing about, I mean, like pre-Pericles Athens, right? Old, old Athens, Um, but also make it accessible to modern readers. So you kind of have to find this in-between voice. Um, I read a lot of Anne Carson because I think her translations of ancient Greek are phenomenal and so powerful and so modern, but still retain this like 
I don't know, arcane ancient lyrical quality, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And I think that like what I love is, you know, just kind of how you're coming at it. And um, I like what you were saying. I I get what you were saying about the two different, um, you know, uh, the first person versus uh, third person. It was just very, very different, uh, very refreshing. Um, And another thing, you know, it's so funny because when I was reading your story, I don't know why I always forget that Medusa was the only mortal of the three. And I liked like right away, that was just kind of that reminder of it, you know? Um, and, but I do think that one, one thing that was good, that's good about this is, you know, I think this is accessible to people who are fans of mythology, but also people who are kind of new to it. And they've just found this like sub genre of, um, retellings of mythology you know in a way i almost feel like it's sort of um almost like how for middle graders percy jackson has kind of brought you know kids to mythology when those books came out and i don't know when things changed but um when i was i believe it was sixth or seventh that's when we learned mythology Mm -hmm. My kids were in second grade last year and they learned mythology in second grade. And it was just, it was very different, um, you know, hearing my second graders tell me about like Mount Olympus and everything. Uh, But, you know, we started, uh, my husband started reading the Percy Jackson books to them and now they want more mythology, but they came at it that way first. When those books came out, people were kind of, uh, kids were kind of circling back to them. And I kind of wonder now, uh, you know, you have this whole influx of people reading these books. I think that it is kind of shining a light to how great mythology is, but it's also giving, it's scratching an itch. Like you were saying, you know, uh, reading something where you have a scholar who says that, well, Medusa's sisters don't matter, you know, they're just there. Well, they existed for a reason in the text, you know, was it just to kind of like give her some like color that she wasn't the only one? Was three supposed, you know, was it the magical number of three or, you know, you want to know more. And um, I think that this is a really good time for people who are meditating on these things and get to get to show more of what they want. That's actually one of my favorite things about um, the modern age, because there's a lot to be nervous about and upset about and scared about, right? I'm not in any way diminishing that. But one thing I do love is I think there is a hunger and a need for counter narratives. And I think that we ask better questions. Our kids are asking better questions. They care more about perspective and that applies to real history and also like the mythological canon or any of the stories we've been told. Um, And I think that when we take these old stories or old histories and we look at them from a new lens, we're transferring power. And I think it's really subversive and super cool. And I love this, this movement, you know, Um, there's a, I think with mythology too, we look at stories from the past, And they teach us about the past. But if we analyze the way we react to these stories, we're also learning about the present, right? So um, there's a quote I really love um, that I think about all the time. It's by Carlo Levi, and he's a Italian Jewish academic. And he says, the future has an ancient heart. And 
I love thinking about that. And it almost gives me this image of like interlapping hearts throughout time and people and the stories that we still care about. We still need to feel whole. It's one of my favorite ways of making and forging connections with my own place in human history is through myth. I 100% love that. And (laughs) I love, again, like I said, I love that, you know, I, I recall back when I started studying mythology, it was kind of considered, oh, this thing you had to do, but now it's something people are really thirsting for. And it's not just the nerds like me who like, was like, oh my gosh, this is really cool, who had to really dig, you know, like, saw saw what, what people were digging for in it. Uh, you know, this is something that makes it very accessible. It makes it very refreshing. And, you know, I think um, somebody, and I've heard this said a few times, that mythology itself is sometimes considered to be the first form of fan fiction. No, I love that. I love that. <laughs> right? So it's only fitting that people would rewrite these myths or reframe these myths now to sort of expand on what they desire to see more of. Well, and Ursula Le Guin comments on this too, in her defensive genre fiction, she, you know, gets upset that, that fantasy and science fiction are almost seen as like less than in terms of literary fiction, when they're actually the oldest literary form. You know, these are the oldest stories. And in some ways, these stories allow us to analyze and talk about the real world with more possibility. And I think that's the thing about myths is they're really universal. Like if you look at Medusa's sisters, the themes in this book are so applicable, I think, and relatable to normal lives, toxic um, sexual relationships, right? Between men and women and all of the whole spectrum, right? There's the bonds of sisterhood, the jealousies of sisterhood. Um, I I heard a writer say one time that sometimes the more specific you get, the more universal it becomes, which shouldn't make sense, but it does. It's like, here we are in this very specific time place, you know, old, old, old Athens with literal monsters and goddesses, yet those themes are still relevant today. Absolutely. I couldn't say it any better. And I know there's one quote that jumped out at me and I know it's jumped out at a few, you know, few others Um, to have choices is to have power. Most women have neither. And that's like what uh, that's like that old trope. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Yes. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. Oh, what was I going to say about this? Oh, yeah. Women and t- women in antiquity, I think there's a particular challenge to these stories and that it's already these women, their lives were completely controlled by men, right? What they were allowed to do, what they were allowed to be. And then the record of those lives is also controlled by men. So they kind of disappear. You know, they don't get to exist as real flesh and blood women unless we go back with imagination and empathy and bring them back to life. 110%. So what was your <laughs> what was your favorite thing about writing this book and um what like what are some other retellings that you really have loved? When I wrote this book, I had just had my 
my last baby, my third child. And I didn't want him to be around a screen all the time because obviously he's home with me. So I hand wrote almost all of Medusa's sisters. Um, I would like do tummy time with baby Shay and I would write. And then at night when my kids were asleep, I would type it up. And that was a really great process for me. And it's what I've continued to do because it almost forms like your first round of editing and revising is the typing up part. So I've kind of created this this model for myself. Um, and then what was your other question? <laughs> I was, I was carried away. In oh, the what, are, what are some of your favorites? Like what are some, what are some of your favorites? Cause there's a bunch. I, I had a list. Yeah. Like some of my formative retellings. I loved Ahab's wife, um, which obviously retells Moby Dick. I think that one is so great. I love Lavinia by Ursula Le Guin. Um, Miss of Avalon was really huge for me um, when I was younger because I had never seen the scope of that kind of retelling with so many different voices. Um, I just met Genevieve Gornachek, who wrote A Witch's Heart. We just, interview- we just interviewed her. She's super, super cool. She's actually going to do an event with us uh, about um, NaNoWriMo and the late fall early winter that is awesome because she is awesome she is awesome yeah I love her books because you know we we you were saying that you love mythology but Greek mythology is always the first right and none of us usually get to the Norse mythology and she does that so well and has really made that material accessible to so many people I think it's very cool I agree. And uh, I love that your scope is like, you know, it's not just mythology uh, that, you know, this literature retellings as well. I think actually one of the most interesting of those, and it wasn't a hundred percent told from, it wasn't told from the woman's point of view, but it was definitely sympathetic towards the woman who's usually considered horrible was um, the the book, The Smash Up. Did you read that? Oh, it's a read. It's a retelling of Ethan Frome, but I mean, it's still from Ethan's point of view, but it's, it's so, so, so pro uh, Zoe or um, uh, Zenobia because um, it's so it's told um, it, it takes place in 2016. And the premise is, you know, again, they're living in the Berkshires together, but they have this daughter who's on the spectrum um, and, you know, um, the, the girl who comes to live with them is someone who's supposed to be kind of helping out in the house, but, um, you know, with the daughter more so. Um, but uh, Ethan is upset because his wife is so focused on, you know, this rage that she feels because, you know, of 2016 and, you know, she's meeting with her letter writing campaigns and it's really it's really much more sympathetic towards um, the wife you know, where like you're reading Ethan Frome and you're just like, dude, but you are cheating on your wife. Like, let's be honest. Like, it's like, um, Rochester, like your wife is in the attic, dude. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that's, uh, that was one to me that I thought was really, really interesting. And I don't want to give too much away about it, but, um, it went in places I was not expecting. I thought it was really good. Uh, Oh, you know what I should add to, I was just thinking Grendel. Grendel. Yes, 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 yes. 
Because what I love about that one too is not just a retelling of the monster, which who doesn't love? We are so obsessed with the, you know, the psychology of monsters and what makes the monster, what creates one, right? But then also to make it so literary and so um, fresh and inventive. That's a great one. Did you ever read The Mirror Wife by Maria um, Devana Headley? That was, that's another retelling of Beowulf and it's kind of bizarre, but it's from, it's about really Grendel's mother, but it's almost got like a suburban background. I, I don't know how else to describe it, but it is very oh. interesting. My the, See, this is the problem is when I talk to fellow book people, yeah. my TBR list gets so long. <laughs> Same. Like I could be reading for the next 10 years straight and I would not get through it. Well, let's tell our readers to check out Medusa's sisters because um, not only are they going to love it, but they are going to now start picking up all these other books that we were talking about. They're <laughs> yeah, gonna be exactly. like, oh, we love this. Let's check out these others. Reading begets reading. I firmly believe that. So it's good. Be a slutty reader, you know, read it all. Thank you so much, Lauren Bear. I love that. Be a slutty reader. If I would not like probably get kicked out of work for putting that on a t-shirt. I know, right? Put it on my button. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. Well, once again, this was Syosset Libraries Turn the Page podcast. Um, author of Medusa's Sisters, uh, Lauren Bear. Thank you so much, so much for writing this book. Thank you for coming and chatting with us. I had a blast. Thank you so much, Jessica. We are going to close this chapter of Turn the Page. It's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Join us for the next episode.